Would you like another mince pie, Tim? Yes, please. All right, and welcome back to the album years. And it's Christmas. And because it's Christmas, we thought we'd do something a bit different, uh, especially as we've recently relaunched the uh, the album years podcast with new levels of professionalism, Tim. I think it's fair to say... We've taken it up several notches. It's just gone into the stratosphere in terms of the professionalism, hasn't it? Yeah. So we thought we'd do something special for Christmas and we're going to harvest, I think is the right word, mm-hmm. harvest some questions from the from the listenership. And in fact, you've you've been doing that through your I have, yeah, Facebook I page. And my Facebook and Twitter questions and they came in by the dozen like mince pies. Quality? High quality? Quality. Intelligent, yeah. insightful, questing. Questing questions. So articulate. Yeah. So you're going to be today. You are going to be asking. You're going to be posing. You're going to be posing the questions that have been harvested. There's some good words in this podcast already. Certainly harvested. Harvesting the organs of our listeners. I think that's what you're trying to. Yes. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through certain questions. I'll ask them. Some really need one-line answers. Some of them might be quite detailed. Some of them might, in a way, just take us off on a few tangents. And my guess is that we'll get through about a tenth of the questions. Yeah, that, that, that would be true to form. Um, it would be fair to say that some of the questions will require not only one sentence answers, but perhaps one word answers? I would actually say one grunt One answers. grunt, yeah. Okay. Okay, without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, well, without further ado, I'll just say this. We three kings of Orient! Ah, uh, is that supposed to be the ham? Yeah, that's the ham. Yeah. Merry Christmas to the ham. He does listen Merry to the show, Christmas. doesn't he? Yeah. Listen to the show. We always we always try and discuss the ham at least at least three times in well, every I episode. I thought I'd get in this because people have asked us yeah. what Christmas album would you like to hear, and I'm thinking Peter Hamill sings the carols. Has he never done it? Has he never done a Christmas He's song? He's never done that. I've never done one either. Have you? La 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 la. Have you? Have you? Have you ever done a Christmas? Uh, Christmas song. I've not, but again, a lot of people were asking us what are our favourite Christmas tracks. I liked I Believe in Father Christmas by Greg. I liked even Slade's Christmas. Here is Merry Christmas. Partly because there was a tremendous Slade's Christmas. Tremendous sense of sadness. There's a minor key in there. Well, the melancholy, yeah. Well, I was going to say, my favourite Christmas album, there's two. This is the firstly, the Hilton Ayers and the Tony Mansell singers, Swinging in a Winter Wonderland from the early 70s. But my favourite other Christmas album is the low one, which of course is incredibly melancholic. But as you say, a lot of these great Christmas songs, the sentiment is sometimes quite sad, isn't it? Loneliness at Christmas. You know, obviously the famous, the greatest Christmas song of all time, Fact, yeah. The Pogues, you know, Fairy mm. Tale of New York. It's a kind of tragedy, isn't it? I think a lot of them are. One exception to this, actually, it's a band that we both love. And it's all right. It's not a great Christmas album. That's the Beach Boys do a Christmas album. I quite like it. Yeah. I quite like it. Yeah. But the problem is, it's this sunny summer harmony in yes. Christmas time. And it actually doesn't quite have the melancholy. It doesn't quite capture no. the summer or the winter. Or yeah. the boys at their best. But it's good. It's a good album. But I agree. I think the low Christmas album's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I can never pronounce his name, but Sujan or Sufjan Stevens, he did a sort of... Yeah, he did a series of EPs. Yeah, yeah EP, which was released as a box set. And that was really sweet, actually. Yeah, those are pretty good. Yeah. Vince Guaraldi, of course, yeah. the Charlie Brown Christmas album. Um, and, and the Greg Lake track, to be fair, is one of the most cynical and actually brilliant analyses of the Christmas season, I think. I believe in Father Christmas. I think it's one of those remarkable singles that was huge, while in a sense pissing on the public from a great height. 
Without further ado, Tim, let's have some Christmas questions. Not Christmas themed, just questions. Well, we've answered too. What Christmas album would we like? Oh, okay. Somebody also said, and this can be answered with a grunt. Would you consider doing a Christmas album? Well, now the funny thing is that my friend Jonathan, a couple of weeks ago, I was out with him, and he challenged me to writing a Christmas song because he said, you've never done one. Why have you not done one? And I said, well, I wouldn't know where to go with the lyrics. And he said, no problem. And he got his phone out and he got on chat GPT, the AI Mm -hmm. thing. And he said, write me lyrics for a Stephen Wilson (laughs) Christmas themed song. And of course, it instantly came up with all of the, but but interesting, you know, we talked about how a lot of Christmas songs are actually not necessarily joyous. They're quite sad. And of course, the Stephen Wilson one, Inevitably, the artificial intelligence decided it all had to be miserable, melancholic. Yeah. So, be careful what you wish for. I might be, I might be doing it. Beautiful as we speak. scarecrow with a head full of snow. Yeah, exactly, something yeah. like that. Yeah, or perhaps it would be snow in the cocaine sense. Obviously, yeah, the harmony you know. snow decks. Yeah, you see what I did there. I think I did. <laughs> what have you got in your album? Funnily enough, well, we're going to be talking about the best albums of 2023. Obviously, the best album of 2023. We can discuss that if you want. Should we do it? Well, is that one of the questions? <laughs> Actually, several people did ask what we thought of music in 2023 and whether we had any favourites this year. And um, and I do. I mean, oddly enough, quite a few of them, though, are by artists who are um, older than I am. Because I think, you know, and that's not easy these days to find artists that are older than I am. But it's always great to have people who are because you've got something to look up to. You know, it's like my role models used to be younger. Now it's Mel Brooks, age 96, still writing a sitcom. That's my new role model. Mm. You know, it's Dick Van Dyke on America's Perhaps Got Talent doing a tap dance. That's what I'm aiming at. He's about 98 or something. I think he did die in 2023, didn't he? Dick 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 Van Van Dyke, Dyke, I think he's still alive. Is he really? I mean, you can check if you want. I am going to check because I'm pretty sure. Dick Van Dyke was on a programme doing tap dancing and I thought, what an amazing thing to do for a... 98 year old who was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with perhaps the best English accent outside of Ocean's Eleven. Right. Oh my God, you're right. He's still alive. Yeah. yeah. 1997. Oh, 97. Okay, I'm out by Goodness year. me. Goodness me. But he's still doing um, television appearances and still moving. I think he still plays five aside football as well every week. Oh, no way. Really? Well, I do, so I'm you just, just made I'm throwing up. him in. You've made that up. I'm throwing him in. Like, made yeah. Okay, so you were saying that. So the album. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. So the the albums you like from this year were people older than you. Paul Simon, Peter Gabriel. Paul Simon, not much. I've only listened to once, and I really loved the idea of it. And it's a beautifully recorded album, and it isn't like anything he's done before. So I appreciate it and approve of it. I'm not sure it would be necessarily you didn't really in like my it. top five. I didn't dislike it. I liked it. Yeah. Peter Gabriel album, I've not listened to enough. In fact, I've only heard it live. I've got a copy. Oh, okay. I've got the the two CD Blu-ray edition. Limited edition Limited with edition. OB strip. With yeah. the OB strip, yeah. of course. Yeah. If it's yeah. not got the OB strip, I'm throwing it out of the door. Yeah. But that's due to arrive. So I've only ever heard the tracks live because I saw him live this year. And he was... Very good, actually. His voice is still yeah. tremendous. The yeah. show was fantastic. Yeah. And it was quite a brave show because he did the entirety of the new album. And a couple of the tracks I thought were, were very special from that performance. But I think I'd have to listen to it it's in excellent. more detail. It's excellent. I'm sorry, I'm okay. going to talk about this because it's one of my favourite albums of 23. It's an excellent album. The worst you can say about it is why didn't he release it 18 years ago, mm-hmm. two years after his last album? Because it feels very much like it's cut yeah. from the same cloth. 
there's there's not anything that would would blow you away in terms of wow I wasn't expecting that or it wouldn't surprise you necessarily but the quality is extremely high in the songwriting the sonics the mixing the production he's still he's still got it and as you say the voice is still it's still there and it's still phenomenal. it's still affecting you know he's still yeah. a sort of conscientious artist who's producing great work I think I agree yeah. with your assessment in the sense of what I've heard from the album I didn't listen to the tracks as they were coming out so i wanted to hear it as an album I mean, me too yeah me too you know but what i heard there were definitely echoes of what we've done before you know what was interesting is that you're right that 21 years have passed since the last album and actually it sounded like maybe two years it hadn't necessarily yes. embraced yes a lot of what's happened but he doesn't need to because he's still producing work of, of value and quality yes. so that was maybe my only criticism of what I'd heard, but you know, I'm looking forward to hearing the album. Mine too. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I'm not even sure that is a criticism. It's, it's just an, an observation. I suppose we got so used to people like Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush blowing our minds every time they came yeah. out with a new record that it's it's disappointing is the wrong word, but perhaps slightly less seismic that this album sounds like a follow up to. Up and I loved Up and I like this record very much, and there's definitely no sense that he's lost his ability, singing, creativity, songwriting, production. But at the same time, he hasn't necessarily innovated on this record. Yeah, no. And I think that you know another album I liked this year, the Sparks album, was similar in the sense that Sparks, like Gabriel, like Bush, they have had seismic changes. You know, they've massively shifted. Whereas this. It's just a really good Sparks album. You right. know, it's great fun. It's very inventive. But there's not anything that couldn't have been on another Sparks album, right. which, right. you know, if you listen to Little Beethoven or you listen to number one song in heaven or you listen to Kimono My House, they were absolute, you know, scorched earth, new right. starts for the band. And this isn't, but it's a good album and it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, the albums I really liked, I mean, it's strange, cause I, you know, you probably disagree but one um is a bit of a left field one which was um charles haywood who was in quiet oh, sun yeah. and this heat and this heat he's formed a new band called abstract concrete and he's in his 70s and it's just one of the most kind of playful art rock albums he's ever made musically it's fantastic it's one of the more luscious albums he's done but it's equally experimental you know there's a lot of dissonance a lot of electronics a lot of um, production techniques from dub but he seems to be having a lot of fun with it and it's in, you know, it's the sort of album, I guess, that if Robert Wyatt was still on form, it's what he might release. If he was still making music and on form in 2023, this could be his album. So that was a really good album. I really like the Everything But The Girl album this year as well. I think um, Tracy Thorne's voice has matured and changed, and she's almost got a second voice now. It's, it's very different from how it was in the 80s and 90s. Uh, has this beautiful husky quality. And um, it's a kind of melancholy, electronica dance <laughs> album with you know two or three songs that i think are incredibly special and affecting so that's kind of pretty high up for me um virginia astley someone who we both like she's released a 27 minute piece on Bandcamp, and it's a continuous piece of music that has several movements and weirdly it's like she's gone right back to from gardens the, okay you know, the one of our favorites on, on the show yeah so it's yeah. really pretty mm. really delicate a lot of found sounds a lot of birds a lot of running water and i think her daughter is on harp so the soundscape's slightly mm. different but you've got the piano you've got the flute and a bit like we we're saying about the gabriel she's not lost any of what she had mm. 
on her early work. So it was kind of an unexpected um, album cool. in some respects. And I think she's got a full album coming out pretty soon as well. Okay, great. Um, I'll check that out. Trying to think what else. Do you want, do you want me to tell other albums well, or not? Um, Unless you're going to tell I, I, I mentioned a couple of other ones that I really liked from this. I mean, I didn't, I didn't listen. Well, you liked the Harmony Codex, didn't you? The Harmony Codex, of course, is a fantastic record. No. Um, the, uh, the only other albums I've heard of this year that you haven't already mentioned, I, I did really like the One of Tricks Point Never album again. I love the single from it. I've not heard the album, but the single so, was amazing. Yeah, the single was amazing. So the single, The Barely Lit Path, I remember playing that to you. Yeah. Um, and, I said, and I said to you, with not some degree of raising high expectations, I said to you, you've never heard anything like this before. Mm-hmm. And... That wasn't just rhetoric, was it? It, it? it is quite a unique, extraordinary take on mixing electronic sound yeah. with acoustic sound, orchestral sound. And it's one of the few things I've heard this year where there wasn't a sense of deja vu. You know, we, we talk about the Gabriel album, very high quality, yeah. but nothing that really is going to sort of shock you in the sense I wasn't expecting that. And I think, at least with the One of Tricks Point Never um, track that, and, and the album pretty much overall, there is a sense that you never know where this music's going to go next. And I, and I still love to hear albums like that. It was quite an intense album to listen to from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on sometimes that you almost you get to a point where it's almost information overload. At least I do. I almost have to listen to the album in little chunks, like three tracks at a time. Yeah. And, you know, you remember that track, A Barely Lit Path. Even within that five minutes, there's so much that happens so the whole album is a bit like that it's almost information overload but it's brilliant and he's obviously a brilliant producer um and he's obviously doing a lot of work in the world of, of music soundtrack and movie soundtracks which seems to be a perfect so sort of logical place for him to go i also really loved an album by uh, a younger group called benefits who i describe as like well, the, the jethro tull album benefits no i describe benefits as like a miserablest northern version of the sleaford mods Okay. And Sleaford Mods are quite miserable already, obviously, um, but they're very kind of London Cockney. And Benefits are like the kind of northern equivalent. I mean, there's, an, there's a track on their album called Shit Britain, okay? And the guy basically, he, he, he does the kind of, you know, poet poetry thing. Mm-hmm. What, Marky uh, Smith style? John Cooper, more John Cooper Clarkey, because okay. he's got that northern thing right. going on. Except well, he so sounds... Marky Smith's not northern. He sound well. He's. I tell you, the thing he's got with Marky. Well, Marky yeah, Smith on. at least tries to sing. At least the thing he's got in common with Marky Smith is he sounds pissed off all the time. Yeah, yeah. All the time he sounds pissed off. But that is life in modern Britain, and in not particularly in the north. <laughs> and also, the sound of the band has got much more noise aesthetics, industrial noise aesthetics. So there's this kind of sense of a barrage of noise over which this guy will be ranting angrily about how shit Britain is. And, of mm-hmm. course, that's something they have a lot in common with Sleaford Mods because a lot yeah, of Sleaford yeah, yeah. Mods songs is about how crap Britain is. And there's that kind of humour, sort of black humour mm-hmm. going on as well. So I really like the Benefits album called Nails. Uh, it's their first album. And it came out on um, Jeff Barrow's label. Oh, OK. Of Portishead, yeah. So that's a great record. And I noticed that somebody else picked us their album of the year the other day. Um, anyway, those are the only other two records I... I, mean, I really like Matt Berry's sort of homage to library music. He released an album on the KPM label this year, which is a famous library music okay. label from the 70s, and he did a record for them. Again, nothing revolutionary about it, very nostalgic, but I really kind of just enjoyed it, you know. I suppose I also like the Bathers album, Sirenesque, which might be their best. I mean, if you've not heard the Bathers... 
I it's a bit like if you can imagine Van Morrison meets Sinatra, but with a kind of precious, atmospheric, poetic quality. And they're still as good as they ever are. I mean, Chris Thompson, the singer, has got a remarkable, grizzled voice. Um, he started off being quite influenced by Bowie in a band called Friends Again, and they were great. And um, they split off into various bands, including another Scottish band called Starless, who are really good. But this is um, just a very beautiful, ambitious singer-songwriter album with great arrangements, string arrangements and so on. Um, in terms of northern miserabilism, <coughs> um, obviously... I took an interest in the Warrington Runcorn Newtown Development Plan. I don't know if you know them. I've heard the name. It's a brilliant name, yeah. Well, for me, it's, it's kind of it's a really weird one yeah. if we kind of get personal. So basically, my mum worked for the Warrington Runcorn Newtown Development Corporation. And, um, you know, to take it down, she was killed in March 1979 in a car crash. And the band's first album, or it's, it's one electronic artist, really, is called... Interim report, March 1979. Oh, Actually wow. Actually taking reports from the building that my mum walked in. Oh, I, in. Love, the, I love the idea of this. So, um, yeah. which is very odd. So yeah. that's why I kind of had an, had an interest. And they've had two releases this year. And I, it's really difficult to describe in a way because it's sort of electronic, almost old school German with a more pared down contemporary production. So you can hear they've got you know, craft work, tr Tangerine Dream, Ashra, in the mix. But there's maybe more John Carpenter film soundtrack as well. Okay, so it's, uh, to me, do. it's the name also would lead me to conclude this. It sounds like it's part of that kind of whole hauntological scene. Yeah, the ghost yeah. box, very nostalgic for the 70s, very nostalgic for things like public information films. Exactly. Those kind of things. The, the kind of postboards of Canada kind of style of electronic music, essentially, which I like very much. So, yeah. And I love the name of this band so much. <laughs> that, uh, that well, I, obviously, that, uh, it, it drew me to them. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and the yeah. artwork as well. I think... That you know, a bit like yeah. The Caretaker, they've got a theme and they play with the theme and it's a combination of title, artwork and music. So it's right. not just the one thing that kind of grips you. So, you know, that was um, another one Sounds I liked this year. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you had an album this year, which I personally thought was my favourite of your albums alongside The Raven, actually. No, I'm really proud of it. And of course, you're quite right to point out it is the best the best <laughs> album. Of that is exactly what I said. You know, of all of those <laughs> albums, there were twenty-three. Anyway, let's have another uh, listeners' question. Uh, readers' wives. I was going to say. Question. Let's have some more readers' wives. Well, Come on. Somebody had said here, but I mean, this will be a, a maybe a grunt. I did answer them actually in, in um, email, but mm. there's a question. Are you both influenced by classical music? I don't remember hearing you discussing any classical music albums, and I said, well, actually, we do. You know, in terms mm. of what the album years does. We've discussed contemporary classical and mm. mainly minimalism, holy minimalism, holy minimalism. So, you know, Philip Glass, Steve Reich, um, Arvo Pett, etc. Goretzky, we'll discuss because yeah. it falls within the years. I think we made Einstein um, on the Beach our favourite album of one episode, Indeed didn't we? Indeed we did. Yeah, yeah. But he then said, and I said, but yeah, we are aware of um, the likes of Vaughan Williams, Mahler, Stravinsky, mm. Stockhausen, and he said, yes, that's what I'm interested mm. in, you know, Debussy, Ravel. But obviously, I don't remember the Debussy album from 1977. You, <laughs> you might be able to... No, that, is, you know. that is a bit of a flaw in, in, the, in the concept there. Yeah, yeah we so can't... That's, that's why we've not discussed it. But There I'm was gonna... Stockhausen album in, in 1977, Diara's Life. Oh, yeah. He says, being a Stockhausen. I'm, I'm going to answer another question yes. within this. Yes. Because somebody asked, and I think I can get away with this, because obviously all the people are dead. Somebody asked whether there was music that 
we loved, that, you know, absolutely um, defined us at one point or we adored, that we then went off and have no connection with anymore. And I'm going to say that, you know, to a certain extent, I can I can give you two things. And one is I did have a, an awful lot more interest in classical music when I was younger, you know, late teens especially. So Debussy, Ravel, Mahler, Vaughan Williams, uh, Delius, etc. And I don't feel a connection with it anymore. It seems too big, too distant, too cold. Whereas, you know, minimalism, honey minimalism, I still like as much as I ever did. Mm. Uh, similarly, ECM, I remember, you know, my late teens absolutely adoring a lot of the ECM albums, whereas now I find them a little too pretty, a little too cold, a little too precise. It doesn't yeah. really connect with me. And there are mm. other things as well. I mean, and just to sort of almost interrupt you, what I try and do with the album years is express my enthusiasm. So if I'm discussing an ECM album from 1979, which I discovered in my teens, I will discuss it with the enthusiasm I had for it then, mm. rather than the slightly distant cynicism I feel towards it now. Or not. I mean, you can talk about both perspectives, can't you? I think there's yeah. some albums some albums we have talked about where we've talked about our kind of impressions at the time, mm. but we've also been very, you know, honest and said, but it, you know, probably doesn't mean as much to me now as it did then. I think the thing with classical music, you you You've kind of hit the nail on the head, really, which is that the album shows the the show is called the album years, mm -hmm. and specifically our remit was to focus on the golden age of the album. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Most of these classical composers never thought in terms of albums, partly because a lot of the the works were composed long before there was even you know recorded media. Yeah. So the whole idea of talking about an album by Bach. Or Beethoven, mm. or it just doesn't work, you know. Even some of the composers you mentioned, the Vaughan Williams, the Debussy, kind of who arguably were there at the beginning of the sort of golden age of recorded media, they weren't thinking in terms of making albums. And I think that's the exception when we talk about people like um, the minimalists mm. and maybe some of the 20th century composers, is that they were beginning to think in terms well, this of is it. You presenting know, Michael their Nyman, music. I remember, yeah. you know, he was as influenced by Bach. And Jerry Lee Lewis. So yeah. they came from a completely different era. And Bach is one of the few old school classical composers I can listen to yes. and like. And, and also, you know, in terms of thinking about how music's presented, I was always fascinated by, do you know, Alexander Scriabin, who's the mm. Russian composer, early 20th century. And he was one of the first people to introduce light shows and also smells so that you would mm. actually have an overall experience where you'd have incense sticks and you'd have lights to accompany the orchestral versions of his work and and Stravinsky to be honest Stravinsky's right of spring is something that I was fascinated by Amazing. quite early and Amazing, I still yeah. really like yeah. that well know. also I mean you're talking about these guys being ahead of their time Stockhausen was experimenting with surround sound in the 50s Right. Composed yeah. two pieces of music Gruppen for three orchestras and Carey for four, four orchestras and four choirs positioned around the audience and he's literally doing things like where he's having one orchestra playing a chord and then passing it to another orchestra in another corner of the hall and then they right. would pass it to i mean that's obviously to someone like myself where mm -hmm. spatial audio and surround is very important to me blows my mind that some of these classical guys were, were composing spatial audio when Bill Haley and the Comets were still the cutting edge of, you yeah, know, yeah. popular mainstream music. So these guys way, you know, and, and in electronic music as well, of course, Morton Subotnik composed the first ever piece of electronic music for vinyl in 1967, Silver Apples of the Moon. And so a lot of these guys from the classical tradition were way ahead of the game. But I think that's the point. Very few of them ever thought in terms of the album 
as a continuum as obviously not some of them did but mm. but certainly the classic classical composers they were composing in 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 terms of of performance weren't they concert theaters yes yeah. they weren't they weren't so i think that's a good answer to your your listeners our listeners question that these guys don't fit into the album years because they never thought in terms of albums no. yeah I mean, again, we do get questions regularly as to... And obviously the other answer is that classical music is shite and for pussies. <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah. I concur. That was Jonathan Marr who asked that question. Johnny um, Marr? Johnny, Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr asked that question. He's a, he's a regular listener. It's, um, a good question. it's a good question. It is a good question. Um, but I think as well, album music, a few people have asked kind of whether we're going to do years pre-1967 or post-2002 or 2001 and so on. And of course, you know, albums, in terms of the album as a concept, I think that kind of comes together in the early 50s. So before, people like Billie Holiday, Frank Sinatra, Chet Baker, who did create sequenced albums and themed albums. So, you know, that's certainly something both of us have been very aware of and, and actually take some inspiration from and, and admire it, you know. I think the answer to that question, you know, before 1967, I would probably, personally, I would struggle a bit. Um, I would say probably 99% of the music in my collection that isn't jazz mm -hmm. and isn't classical music would be post-67. Yeah. And I think there's something in that. In fact, I remember very early on, we, we, I think we talked in one of the early episodes about how the album kind of comes of age with things like Sgt. Pepper, Pet Sounds. And yes, you're absolutely right. Frank Sinatra was making concept albums before that. But in terms of mainstream pop and rock music, the album kind of comes of age around the middle of the 60s, doesn't it? Or the latter half of the 60s. Yeah. <clears throat> and seems, to, and not uncoincidentally, seems to have fallen out of favour about the time of 2000 and whatever it was you just said. Yeah, to the early 20th. I mean, I still yeah. think there's some amazing 21st century albums. And I think we will do that, won't we? We will do we that. We will. And some of my favourite albums have been this century as well. You know, I still think it's a great medium. I still think some great art and music is being produced, really. So I've not gone back. But Agreed. Um, you know, in terms of, yeah, early rock was very much collections of singles. There were great tracks. You know, the first Presley album has got some amazing stuff, but it's recorded over a different period, you know, over a period of a few years in different studios. I mean, if you ever listen to the, to the debut Presley album, listen to his version of Blue Moon, which is absolutely haunted and mm. almost a frightening piece of music. Uh, so there's some great rock and roll stuff. I, I suppose I have slightly more time for you, partly because I, I love the economy of the production, the sound, a bit like I love the economy of the production on 50s jazz albums, where mm. in a sense, some of those albums... They've not been bettered in terms of microphone placement mm. or quality of For sure, yeah. vocal or trumpet sound. Well, still, kind of blue still yeah. sounds amazing. Still sounds like you're in the room with you know with the musicians. But I think that's just just the risk of repeating myself here. I think that's the point here that we consider the golden era of the album to be roughly from around about the middle of the sixties through to the beginning of the twenty first century. And there's a you know there's, so there's a good thirty five years there for us to to discuss and to of go course, over yeah, yeah. And, and, and we've still got a lot of work to do in just in that in that kind of time frame well i think the thing is as well that we always kind of we create a long list and we beat it down to things that we both know and can talk about and luckily it's a fairly eclectic mix but we always end up missing you know maybe 10 albums in any given year that we'd have well, time least, for yeah could discuss so you know we've discussed the idea of maybe going back sometimes to certain years or 
I think early on we were much more brutalist and ruthless about the editing, weren't we? Uh, yeah. We've become, we've become a little bit more, you know, incontinent as time has gone on. Witness the fact that the 1977 uh, year covers eight episodes. And probably early on we would have tried to cram that all into one 45-minute episode and we would, have, we would have not been able to talk about, you know, 70, 80% of the albums that we have talked about. So I definitely feel like we could go back and rediscuss a lot of those early, early years. And we probably will, you know, because there, there will come a point if we carry on doing this we're going to have to start going over some of the years again. We're going to yeah, run yeah. out of years to talk about. Yeah. Let's Indeed. have another question from the listeners. Okay, this is going to be a brief one, Mark. Conroy here asks, has Stephen listened to any of the records Tim has put on the list that you never heard? If so, did he particularly like any of them? Uh, can you give me, remind me an example? I did. I, li- I, I listened to... I listened pictures, to, you'd have listened to that, wouldn't you? Pictures I listened to, very strange. I like yeah. that. I like that. I did go and listen to... Um, uh, not sure if we've talked about it yet, and chronologically speaking, in terms of the way these episodes are rolling out. But on the 1997, uh, nine, sorry, 1977 episodes, Tim talks about an album by the Beach Boys called Beach Boys Love You. Love is that you, was, yeah. yeah. And we may not have got to that in terms of the order we're rolling in these episodes out yet, but we talk about that on the episode. And uh, I didn't know that record. It sounded mad, and I went and listened to listened to it. And yes, indeed, it was mad. And I suppose from my side in terms of... Because people have asked me the same question as well. Is there anything that you've raved about, rubbed off on me? Have I then gone, OK, I'm going to listen to this? And one case for me was actually Nine Inch Nails because I was very familiar with the downward spiral and the downward spiral. And I thought that's all I kind of need to know. Oh, I like it. I really okay. like the yeah, downward spiral. It's amazing. Spiral. Um, and you'd raved about the fragile, oh, yeah. I think. And so I bought about four or five Nine Inch Nails albums after you'd mentioned this. And yes, some of them really, really like, even the stuff that the band were putting out in 2018, you know, that had been slightly influenced by Bowie's Black Star, where he's using the, more... The EPs, the EPs, Bad Witch EP. Bad yeah, Witch EP, great, fantastic great stuff. Great stuff, yeah. So, yeah, that made me kind of think, OK, perhaps I, I always kind of felt that Downsparrow had everything you needed to know about the band. And to a certain extent, it does, but they do progress and they do shift. And yeah. I was glad I did that. So, you know, yeah, of course, I'll listen to what you say if you say that that isn't the be all and end all of, of did what you, they had did to you, offer. Did you get a Nine Inch Nails album called um, With Teeth? Yeah. I love that one. Is that the one with the two sides of it? Or maybe I'm getting confused uh, with the Fragile now, I think, actually. I'm not sure. No, Fragile's got two sides. Fragile's a double. With yeah. Teeth starts off with this gorgeous ballad. Called, I think it's called All the Love in the World mm. or something. And yes, it's, it's yeah. very... It's not <coughs> what you expect. It's almost like a soulful... Well, Trent Reznor style, anyway. Mm. Okay, let's, let's have another question, Tim. Okay. See, now a few people will say, but you've never talked about this band or that band. I'm sure. Now, okay, give, well, let's quickly rattle off a few. So, then. like, one person, I'll give you two. Yes. In a side. So, one person, we know what with this one, Ritzy. So, one person, Jake Louis, or Morrissey, I think it's actually under a pseudonym, <laughs> obviously, because he's a fan. So, I haven't heard every episode yet, so I'm not sure if I missed it, but you've mentioned Arena Rock, but I've never heard you give specific shout outs for. Journey, Def Leppard, Van Halen, etc. I can't imagine you've forgotten them entirely. So I'm wondering if it doesn't fit your tastes or there's another reason. Another person similar kind of says, but totally different bands. Um, I've never listened to you or Stephen ever referring to the Afghan wigs. You know, Gentleman's a colossal album of the 90s and so on. And I guess in these cases, some of these albums we have heard, some of the artists we've heard, but they've never really... um, made much impact. I mean, Journey, actually, I quite like Escape, as I've mentioned a couple of episodes and then edited out. 
not for fashion reasons, I hasten to add. I've just never expressed it well. But actually, Escape, I do think, is a great pop rock FM album uh, from the early 80s. But um, I'm guessing it's just a lot of this stuff we're either not quite as familiar with as we are with others, and it just doesn't has never really gripped us. I think that's the thing. And we're very honest about the fact that, obviously, the album Years has to be... Well, it is by definition a very personal perspective, and we don't know we don't know all the music that's been made. We, you know, we've heard a lot of it. No, we're some, not AI. Some of it, we're not AI. We haven't listened to it. some of it. Just has never been on my radar. Has never appealed to me personally. It's not like I have anything against it. It's just I don't. You know, it's like we don't talk a lot about hip hop music. We know yeah. a few hip hop records, but we would be very soon out of our depth <laughs> if we tried to talk about, you know, intelligently about, say, the the, the great hip hop music released sure. in 2023 or 1993, for that matter. Yeah. I would know a few records. I'd know an odd De, De La Soul an old tribe, an odd tribe called Quest or a Public Enemy. But I'm sure there are loads of other hip hop records that came out that year that I wouldn't have the faintest idea about. I don't know a lot about um, the kind of music you're talking about. I have, I can honestly say I've never bought an album in my life by Journey, Styx, REO Speedwagon, um, Kansas. And I'm sorry if I'm lumping all these together because in my mind they do, Toto, they do kind of all go together. And I'm sure they're all very distinctive and very different. But in my mind, I kind of think of them all in the same sort of bubble Boston as well similar I've never bought a record by any of these artists occasionally I'll hear a song on the radio and I think that's nicely put together pop song mm. um, but I couldn't speak to you with any knowledge or any insight about any of those artists well, well, I think and if neither of us can yeah. then we shouldn't be covering it I mean that's you know I think that the thing is trying. that we have got eclectic tastes but there are limits to those eclectic tastes and also we've got to kind of go with our enthusiasm. So, you know, I actually was familiar with the Afghan wigs and did hear a few things. And I couldn't say I disliked it because I didn't. But whereas, say, from that same era, Red House Painters and, say, Mark Eitzel with American Music Club really did grip me, grab me, and I bought the catalogues and absorbed them, for whatever reason, a few of those artists didn't. You know, Afghan wigs amongst them. But I could see the quality. You know, Mark Lanigan is another one from that sort of era. That, yeah, I read his book. I loved you know, it. I loved it. I read his book and I loved it. It's a fascinating book. I went and listened to some of the music as a consequence of, of reading the book and it, it didn't really appeal. It just wasn't yeah. my kind of thing. I was never really into American grunge music anyway, you know, which is kind of, it kind of comes from that, that era at least. Um, so yeah, I think that's the point. We try and talk about things that we can talk about um, intelligently and with some degree of insight and some degree of, of nerdiness because yeah. there's no point us just sort of churning what you could go and read on a Wikipedia page. Of course. So, you know, if people listen to us, I'm guessing, at least I like to think they're listening to us because of our personal perspective yeah. and our personal insight and our personal opinions, uh, good and bad about the records and so for me to talk about afghan wigs I, all i would do is go to a wikipedia page jot down a few <laughs> facts and and what's the point of that so um so it's not it's not meant as any you know kind of slight i think it's just where we personally feel we're on you know steady ground and can comfortably talk about it. and that tends to be a lot of post-punk um progressive rock um, and, you know, singer-songwriters, that's what you and I have yeah. always... So there are other areas, because Vanessa Risty here says, what are some albums not recorded in English that you like? And actually, there's a, there's a whole load. Oh, because, yeah. yeah. I'm a huge fan of Francoise Hardy, some of her late 60s, yeah, French early and 70s German stuff, stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Um, 
one of my favourites I've just temporarily forgotten the name of. Brigitte. You love it so much. I love it so much. Brigitte Fontaine. Brigitte Fontaine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, amazing, experimental, interesting artist. And again, the, there are a number of Italian artists that I think are fascinating. Well, one of our favourite albums of all, in fact, Battiato, I don't, you know. don't know if one of our favourite albums of all, I don't know if we've actually talked about it because we may not have covered the year is Serge Gainsbourg's Histoire de Melody. Yeah, Elsa. yeah, 1971. I don't think we've discussed so, that. So we wouldn't have discussed that. So Serge Gainsbourg, One definitely. of my favourite progressive rock bands of all time is, is the French band Ange. Yeah. Ange. And I think we did talk a little bit about uh, Ange on one of the episodes, didn't we? Um, and obviously all the crowd rock stuff that's in yeah. German, whether it's Kraftwerk and or even, you know, I, I like Rammstein. And, and so, yeah, I don't, I've, never th- I've never thought of language as a barrier mm. to appreciating something and enjoying something. I mean, Magma is a band that made up their own language. Sigaros made up their own language and it doesn't stop you. In fact, in some ways it's almost better that you, you know, you don't know what they're saying. It's, it's, it becomes almost something even more, uh, even more of a sense of otherness to it, doesn't it? It's fascinating for me that, you know, certain cultures, I think it's, it's less the case now, but, you know, certainly in the sort of sixties, seventies, eighties, certain cultures, Develop their own artists that were completely outside of that kind of American British chart success that were only big in Italy or Switzerland. And mm. say, so, you know, Battiato is a great example mm. of somebody who who's considered a poet and, and a great artist in Italy. And his early 70s stuff is astonishing where he kind of starts off as an experimental cross between like Bowie Hamill with a bit of Tangerine Dream then goes off at a really weird Stockhausen Eno mm. tangent. Mm. And by the end of the decade, he's producing Europop. Yeah. And it's such a career trajectory that you yeah. don't get with a lot of British or American artists. And so, yeah, some of these artists I find quite fascinating. There's actually a, there's actually a very similar artist from Germany called Achim Reichel, mm-hmm. who also ended up creating the most mainstream housewife's chi- choice pop you could possibly you imagine. Housewife shite then. I in fact, before and after. But in the early 70s, he makes this string of about five or six records where he's experimenting with Echoplex on his guitar. Right. And it's it's the epitome of, of you know, classic kraut rock. And then he goes back to making these, you know, this very kind of housewife-friendly Portuguese. mainstream That seems music. to be a big thing in you, because I know yeah. there's a Portuguese artist. I don't know his name. I'll look it up on Wikipedia later, but I've heard, heard the album. And in 1978, he has this album, which is huge in Portugal. And it's called something like The Land of a Thousand Mellotrons. And it's about a planet of Mellotrons. And it's basically a progressive rock album. Mm. It's enormous in Portugal. By the mid-80s, I think he's representing them at Eurovision Song Contest. Mm. You know, which again, I'd have really liked the idea of The Land of a Thousand Mellotrons at a Eurovision Song Contest with Bucks Fizz. Could have done well. You know, you could see that just kind of the Mellotron chords blowing the Bucks with, Fizz And hair. also with the skirt, ripping off the skirt routine. With that. Yeah, and the Mellotrons. With the Mellotron. Whipping off the front of the Mellotron to, re- to yeah. reveal the tape mechanism within, you know. But there's some great stuff. And, you know, say Brigitte Fontaine, I really recommend people listen to her because she's a French artist who kind of has an aspect of folk and singer-songwriter, but she was experimenting with world music way before a lot of um, Now, was she the one, sorry to interrupt, was she the one that that covered some Nick Drake songs early on in her career? That was Francoise Hardy. Francoise Hardy. And that's beautiful. You know, she did a couple of albums that are absolutely gorgeous. Right. Um, I say especially late 60s, early 70s, whereas Brigitte Fontaine remained interesting. You know, her 90s and 2000s stuff, she was again, you know, pretty much experimenting with trip-hop as it's happening, you know, she's working with some interesting artists because she's a big deal in France, but yeah. pretty much unknown in Britain, you know. 
Hmm. Let's have another question, Tim, from the listeners. Let's have one. I mean, again, a couple of people asked us about our opinion of the band Jellyfish. Bizarrely, they come up a few times. I don't have an opinion. I can't say I've ever listened to Jellyfish. Have you? I've, I've listened to a couple of tracks, and I oh, it, it, again, it's one of those bands where I thought, okay, this is good. This is well done. Let me put on my Mark Eichel album. Oh, okay. It was that, you know, it's that where I thought, yep. Because obviously there's a lot of music. I think, you know, I don't know, <clears throat> somebody, they didn't ask us about our collections this time, but I kind of always have my interests split because I like a lot of things. And that's what will be on my iPhone. In effect, my old iPod library. I've got an enormous library of music. Very eclectic. But then... I don't love a lot, so I like an awful lot. But in terms of what I love, which will then be my physical collection on CD and vinyl, it becomes more streamlined. But do you not find that the albums that you love, you listen to less because you're almost over-familiar with them? To an extent, I, I, yeah. I can't think of the last time I played, you know, Kind of Blue or Bitches Brew. Yeah. Um, they're amazing. They're, they're albums I absolutely love. But if I find myself reaching for my Miles collection, I'm probably more likely to go for one of the albums I'm less familiar with, like Sorcerer or, you know, or, uh, or On the Corner or something, because I, f- I feel like it's less familiar territory. And so therefore, do you, do you know what I'm getting at? No, you know totally. I'm getting at? I mean, yeah. I think I spend, yeah. you know, <coughs> I, spend I, can't, a lot. I can't think of the last time I listened to a Nick Drake album. That is interesting. Yeah, I do listen to Pink Moon at least once a year. And again, with my right. favourite Joni Mitchell albums, I will always go through a period right. of a year where I'll listen to them again because I think that I spend a lot of time, as you do, sometimes listening to music that I don't necessarily like or fully understand because I want to get to like it mm. or fully un- and understand also, what it is. And also because it's fresher to you. It's yeah. something about it that you're, you're kind of, you're, you're allowing yourself to be surprised. Whereas an old album that you love and you've loved for years, it's not going to surprise you, is it? It's not going to surprise you. And I suppose, you know, with, say, Brian Eno, who's a favourite, and Bowie, probably the albums I've played the most of theirs would be the albums they released in their later years. You know, obviously Bowie's last album, Blackstar, which might be my favourite Bowie album, which I still play quite regularly, whereas Lowe will not get the attention Mm. that gets. Um, and, and similarly, you know, I think Eno's been on, on a rare vein of form of late, so I've really enjoyed a lot of his later work. And whereas I will get out, you know, his album with Cluster maybe once every two years, the more recent albums I listen to. So, yeah, I, I think it is interesting that, you know, some of the all-time favourites or albums that I assume are all-time favourites, I don't listen to as much. But... Yeah. Usually I'll go back if we're doing them in an album years, partly to see, okay, does that feel, still feel the mm. same really? So To me, it's it's almost like watching a movie that you already know, you already know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, and of course, yes, you do, do with favourite movies, you do enjoy sure. watching movies over and over. Even though you know the story, there's nothing going to surprise you. You do still get a lot of comfort from from watching a movie that you've watched maybe 10, 15, 20 times before that you really love. And obviously I do have that, you know. I still listen to Tangerine, Tangerine Dream Zeit at least every two, three months, I would say. Yeah. But but I think a lot of my favourite albums do sit on the shelf gathering dust because I know I like them. I've heard them so many times. It's that whole thing, you know, We I think we talked about it in one of the early episodes, Dark Side of the Moon. I've heard it so many times in my life. I don't need to hear it ever again. Yeah. I do not need to hear that. It's a masterpiece. I'd argue it's probably the greatest piece of conceptual rock music ever made. I don't want to hear it ever again. 
because I've heard it so many times. It's not even that I want. I don't need to. I'll I'll always reach for something that maybe is less familiar, will be fresher, will maybe have the possibility to surprise me than I will to go for the old sort of comfort zone thing. Yeah. And maybe I'm different. Uh, maybe we're, we're different to a lot of people in that yeah, respect. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, so if I'm thinking of Flaming Lips, I mean, Soft Bulletin was the album that I fell in love with, but probably American Head, the album from 2020, is the one that I've played mm. over the last... Few years. I mean, I do go back to certain things. I mean, obviously, when we did 1977, I went back to One World because I assumed it was my favourite album from that age, and it and it was. But also, I go back because I think, okay, have my opinions about this changed? Because sometimes they do. You know, sometimes we say, but like with ECM or certain classical music, your opinions of the music change because you've changed. I'm I'm always fascinated by this thing that. Music doesn't change, but we do. And with it, our opinions. You know, I've never suffered from the reminiscence bump. If I go back to albums that I loved in the 70s, 80s, 90s, there's as good a chance that I don't connect with them and don't like them as there is that I will Mm. connect with them Mm. and like them. And that fascinates me as much, thinking, Mm. okay, that now seems to me too overstated, too overwritten. Mm. Um, It's eking out the emotion in a way that feels hollow to me, in a way that I lapped up when I was younger. Mm. So, you know, certain things change. 